The positive impact of travel is so, it's so big, but in only if it's done right. You're listening to the Better Travel Podcast, and I am your host, Paige McClanahan. Travel has been a passion of mine ever since I was a kid, but as I've gotten older and as I've learned more about the industry through my reporting, I've really started to see just how complicated travel can be. So each week, we are diving in to some of the most fascinating and complex topics when it comes to travel. And it's all with the aim of helping you, and let's be honest, helping me, learn to be a smarter, better traveler. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8. Thank you so much for joining me here today. So if you are anything like me, you're interested in the kinds of conversations that we have here on the podcast because you realize there are problems with travel, but maybe you're also kind of an optimist. I don't know, does that sound right? I mean, I look at issues like overcrowding, environmental pressures, and even carbon emissions. And as enormous as those problems can be, especially with the climate crisis, I see examples of individuals and companies that are working really hard to move us in the right direction. And I think it's so important to look at what those people and those companies are doing, because I think they can serve as a really good model for others to follow. So, so far in the show, I've talked to a couple of executives from smaller companies that are really leading by example. And for today's show, I got to speak to someone from a bigger player in the travel industry, and that's Intrepid Travel which is a global tour operator that took around 460,000 people on trips in 2019. So yeah, they're a pretty big player. They're also very serious about sustainability. So I first came across Intrepid last spring when I was working on a story for the New York Times and my editor asked me to find some of the companies that are really at the forefront of sustainability. And several of the campaigners and academics who I interviewed for that article said, you've got to speak to someone from Intrepid. So for that article, I ended up having a really good conversation with Suzanne Etty, who is Intrepid's head of sustainability. And then when I started the podcast a few months later, I thought, you know, I should really get someone from Intrepid to come on the show. So for this episode, I was delighted to have the chance to speak with Zina Binchek, who is Intrepid's managing director for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. So we had a great conversation and Zina and I talked about misconceptions around the term sustainable travel. We talked about the importance of vaccine equity and what travel companies can do to reduce their carbon emissions. One part of the conversation that I really enjoyed was hearing Zena talk about how tourism has opened up new job opportunities for women in places like her home country of Morocco. And I'll say we had just a couple of minor issues with the connection during the call, so apologies for any hiccups you might hear. But Zena started her current role as Managing Director for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa in February 2020 which we all know was on the brink of a very difficult period for humanity, not to mention the travel industry. So I started off by asking her what that was like. Look, um, I haven't, I've been working for Intrepid for 11 years now, so it wasn't my first job within, thank God, I knew the company before, but I was moving from um, my previous role, which, which was um, a very, very similar title, but a different responsibility because I was the regional general manager for almost the same region. 
but looking into operations of this region and, and then moving into that managing director role for EMEA and then being responsible for EMEA as a, as a market for Intrepid so customers and, and, and so on. So what was very interesting is that I, have, I had a few months where I was actually doing both jobs in the same time because my previous job hasn't been backfilled obviously, as we were, you know, being hit by the crisis. So I had, on one side, I remember in March 2020, had to deal with customer repatriations from places like Morocco, where I'm actually from, and where we had a lot of customers about to be stranded in the country, and in the same time dealing with customers we found, and cancellations, and, you know, so it was a very interesting way to start, and, and obviously all of that virtually um, I knew half of my of the team, which was my previous team. The other half was my new team. So a few people I knew, but there were a few that um, I hadn't met before, really. So um, I was the new boss, and I had to kind of just get them through this without knowing where we were going to, not knowing what we were doing, actually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was quite stressful. But, um, look, we learned through challenges. So I guess we've been out of it. So we, we, we can deal with worse now. It's, <laughs> hopefully it's not going to happen again. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Um, so you mentioned that this is not your first role with Intrepid and that you've been with the company for a while. One of the things that I found really impressive about the company when I first came across it was the fact that Intrepid is a B certified corporation. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for anybody who's not familiar with that term? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, it was certified B Corp since 2017. And um, B Corps are companies that um, commit to create value for all their share stakeholders and not just the shareholders. So um, the, the idea of behind that certification is that um, when you're a B Corp, you, have, you are on a mission to actually make your business benefits, not just your shareholders, but the environment, your people, the communities, your suppliers, and obviously your customers as well. So that's, um, that was a pretty big milestone for us as a business. We've been um, you know, here for 33 years now, and I think we, we were born with you know, being a responsible traveler as part of our DNA. We have always done great things for the planet. We were carbon neutral since 2010, have been the first global travel company to ban elephant riding from our trips, and the whole industry followed us. There are so many great stories about what Intrepid has done on that ethical, responsible travel space. Uh, becoming a B Corp was really a way for us to have an external um, audit review independent that actually what we were talking about, about what we were saying was actually true. And that gave us an amazing framework as well to work toward because throughout the certification process, we've learned so much about what we could improve about, about in our business, things around um, diversity and inclusion, were we good enough? Did we have enough, um, you know, um, a good enough balance within our own teams, within our own two leader teams and, and these kind of things and helped us to um, start working in, you know, putting in place processes and policies to improve um, a few different things in our business. Fantastic. And I guess that's a pretty involved process going through all of the checks and everything. And you're right now going going through it again. Is that right? Yeah, because that's, that's a certification that you're not granted forever. You have actually to, um, you know, work how to keep it and you have to get recertified. So we're now going through the recertification process, um, which is, um, yeah, and, you know, another big review of our business and our business have changed since 2017. We've grown a lot, but we also have been through a pandemic. 
Um, and then obviously we have to, to do that certification and, and, and do it for all the entities of the company. And so Intrepid as a tool operator have different offices in source markets, such as, you know, Canada, Australia, the, the US, the UK, Europe. But we also have 25 destination management companies in places where we operate trips, places like Vietnam, Thailand, Morocco, Peru. And, and in these, these countries, you know, being a B Corp is, is quite a big thing. It's something that uh, um, is not usual, is not probably even known. So we have to go through uh, certifying these, these entities around the world and um, going through that audit as well, which, um, you know, is, is quite challenging um, in, in those, those places. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's really interesting to hear, you know, I think it's really interesting to learn about B Corp certification and what it exactly entails. And I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of confused about the term sustainable travel and what it actually means and sort of what it means, you know, in practice. Have you seen, you know, among the the clients that you're working with or travelers you're speaking to, are there misconceptions about the term sustainable travel? I guess the, the industry in general, but also customers think that sustainability is just about carbon emissions. A lot of people think it's just about carbon emissions and environmental impact. There's much more to that. And, um, and the way we see, you know, the way we define ourselves as being a responsible travel company or sustainable travel companies is about how is our business benefiting the people and the planet. It's not just about the environment. It's also about the communities. It's about the, you know, the, the people we work with uh, in destinations that benefits our style of travel. And, um, and so there's just a lot of elements to, to sustainability that's not just about carbon. It's, it's, it's diversity and inclusion. It's animal welfare. It's um, how do we contribute to protect biodiversity? How do we um, uh, contribute to create meaningful employment? to you know, support women in, um, in, in some areas of the world where there are uh, big gender gaps, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I would love to ask you about women in travel and tourism and what opportunities the travel industry can provide to those women. And I know that's a, a topic that you've been working on and active on for a while. Um, can you tell me about women in travel in Morocco and what you've seen and what sort of opportunities you're helping them find? Sure. Look, I, I'm, I've always said I'm one of the lucky Moroccan women in this world because I have had parents that um, have, you know, given everything they had to educate us, my, myself and my two sisters, so we can, um, you know, go to France and the UK, in my case, for example, to, to get the highest level of education so we can then find very good jobs. And then if we decide to marry and have kids, that's our problem. But that was not the main reason why they raised us. Um, and that's very different to a lot of, you know, a lot of Morocco still now. So I guess um, where it started for me to, you know, get this conscious, so get that idea that I, I had a, a role to play to support women that didn't have the same luck than me is when I started to be given responsibilities uh, with Intrepid. I started as a finance manager, but then, quickly grew up to different leadership positions. And at some stage, I became general manager for our Morocco office. And so back at the time, um, you know, very young still and uh, not very uh, not very common to see a Moroccan woman in a role like this, especially that Intrepid started to really grow in the country. We were one of the biggest tour operators, um, employing a lot of people. We had a team of 70 
um, a, a team of 102 leaders working for us. And, and, and all of this was quite still male dominated. So I had on one side, you know, to find my place in this world. And um, the business gave me all the, the you know, the, the, the power to, to, to lead and, you know, and, and, and you know, gave me the, the, um, the credit had, you know, I, I knew I was there because of a reason, but then I had also to convince people internally that um, I was good for the job. And that was quite challenging, to be honest, because, um, you know, I've been questioned a lot about, you know, what is this young woman doing in this role? It should be a, an old man or even ideally a, an old Western man. You know, it's, a, it's an international company. It should probably be an expat doing this job. But anyway, to cut it short, I, I guess one of the first thing I realized is that we, um, the, the gender ratio in Morocco is around 25% of women in the workforce and obviously a very, very tiny part of it in leadership position. I was in this kind of position, so I had a role to play. And um, when we were going to the B Corp certification, I mentioned it earlier, we looked into our two leader pool and uh, looked into the fact that, or realized the fact that we didn't have enough female leader around the world. We were doing great in offices. We were doing great at supporting women to become managers and, and, and started to make changes even in our board level when we, we hired our first two non-exec who were female out of, I think at the time it was five. So it was pretty good ratio. But then in two leader pool and two leaders are, it's, it's what we do, you know, we're leading trips. We, um, we had um, a very small, small ratio and, and we had given a goal to actually double the number of female guides we had worldwide. So I started to work into toward this, achieving this goal in Morocco. And in fact, I had zero. I had only male guides. So I, I, I could have found one and stopped there. Um, goal reached, but I thought there was something going wrong. And as I was digging into the issue and trying to understand the, re the reason why we didn't have enough women, especially I told you we had 25% of um, women in Morocco in the workforce. So that was very, very different even from the, the current situation of, of Moroccan's workforce. I realized that um, the, the role of two leader wasn't well known. Um, it was very regulated. It was quite, um, there was quite like an opacity around, you know, and, and I realized it was such a great job, actually, because in a lot of countries of the world, including in Morocco, some management positions, some GMs started as a tool leader. So I was thinking, well, if we have more women starting as tool leaders, then maybe we'll have more women in leadership positions and, and not like me, because I was not a tool leader. I, I was one of those lucky women who have been supported by the family and started in finance, so nothing to do with tourism. Um, and yeah, so basically I've been doing work to lobby the Moroccan Minister of Tourism and have been talking to them a lot. We knew them very well. They knew us as well because we we had, um, you know, we've won a few responsible travel award. Uh, we had very good relationship because we bring a lot of tourists to the country. So started conversations with them and had the support of the Australian uh, ambassadors, who was an amazing woman back at that time, um, amazing at supporting and championing women empowerment. So um, after a couple of years, we managed to get them to create the first ever uh, national tests uh, for guides and for pretty much anyone in the country to access the, the, the function of becoming a guide. And so when we learned about it, I went and campaigned around the, a group of women that I knew whether they were interested in being guide or not. It didn't matter. I just wanted to prove them that we could have women guide in this country. And then um, it's a great career to, it's a great way to start a career in tourism. So um, we, we managed to get around 20 women to apply. I think at the end we had around 10 from our own network that got successful. But the reality is that this has spread the word around the country to a point where a lot of women who passed this test 
started to come to us quite naturally because they heard about us advocating for uh, having more female guide. And, and yeah, just the, the last part of the story was that in the same time, we've created a range of women expeditions. And the idea of this ranch for Intrepid, it was the first time we had a range of trips that were only for women customers, led by women customers, but it was done in a way that it's empowering for both sides. And it's only in countries where there is a big gender gap because these type of trips, if they then become successful, it will then create employment for women guides. And it did happen. It was the most successful product um, range since the, the history of Intrepid, the start of, of Intrepid. So it was a pretty great um, way to, to prove the, the government in a way and, and everyone that you know, it's actually, it's making business sense even to to actually have women guides. That's fantastic. That's the first I've heard of a women-led, women-only expedition. What a cool idea. I would love to hear some sort of more specific examples about the types of tours you guys do in Morocco, including the women-led tours. And, um, and can I ask also, so you started with zero female guides and what are you up to now? Like how many have you been able to to get? We got to, I think at the end, we got to 16 and it's a team of around 100. So that's, that was pretty good. Um, we know with COVID and uh, uh, we haven't had a lot of work for our two leaders, unfortunately. But what we've been doing as we were restructuring our team is that we really have kept all our female guides and, and kept them working, even though like a business is starting now again. We're, we're happy that you know, international borders, depending on where you're coming from, are opening. Uh, but we've been running around 50 tours in Morocco in the last couple of months. And that's that's pretty good. It's it's not what we used to do, obviously, in 2019. But uh, yeah, so we've got around 60 female tour guides that are working um, for the, the Morocco, the Intrepid Morocco team. And yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty great ratio, I guess, from where we're coming from. Fantastic. So yeah. Where are some of the destinations within Morocco that these tours are, are going? I would love to hear about some of the different landscapes or urban areas that people get to visit on these trips. Well, the women expedition specifically, we have, so we've designed these trips, not just in Morocco, we've had one in Morocco, but also in um, India, in Kenya, in Turkey, in Iran. So we really went to countries where there is a, a gender gap and that these trips would really help to crack the to change the barrier to, to open a world for women customers that would probably not be opened for them if they were on the male guided trips. We didn't go to Iceland as an example to do a trip like this, you know, so just to put things in perspective. Now, going to the Morocco example, we I really, back at the time, I was designing this trip with my team and I really wanted to have a trip that will take women customers from Western countries to places and then will be able to empower them, open their eyes to the reality of being a woman in Morocco. So what we've done, instead of going through a cultural, traditional trip that goes to the main kind of cities, we really went off the beaten track to a region of the, the country that is really not well known at all, where around 80% of women are illiterate, obviously don't work, are dependent of their husband's income. And, and, and you can see the discrimination when you go to these places because you can see how hard they work. They're responsible for not just the kids, but they're responsible for the fields. They carry a lot of kilos of, um, you know, um, the, I don't know how you call the agriculture type of product, whatever. And men are often sitting, you know, drinking tea and watching them. And, and it's it's quite obvious how, you know, women are not well, well treated in those places. So what we've done is we went to an area called Mugun Valley, 
where there's lots of different villages and we went to some of our suppliers, male suppliers, obviously, and we've asked them, look, we want to run this trip. So it's going to be led by a woman mountain guide, which is also quite rare, pretty rare in Morocco. Uh, but you know what? We only want women to, to manage this trip. So if you want to have the income of this trip, if you want a family to be supported with this trip, then you're going to have to help us. And they, we pretty much got the first ever female multier. You know multier in French? Multier, like the mules. You know how we, when we do treks in Morocco, we don't actually have men or like uh, human porter, but we actually have, um, um, you know, animals like mules that, you know, have supporting for the trek to carry all the luggage and all of that. So the person who is in charge of the mule is always a man in Morocco. They always only be men. We've created the first female mule chair to actually be able to run this trip. That was amazing because then we had a second one coming. She was quite interested to also learn about the job. And, um, and then went to different families um, and said, okay, so we've got these trips gonna, that we're going to be running here and we'd love your, your wives or sisters or to host these customers. We'll be only women. And that was a good thing for them because, you know, we also have to be respectful of the culture, tradition, religion aspects. And, um, and they were pretty happy about it. And it was such a success story because it went to the press. It's been talked about on a lot of, you know, broadcast TV and 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 they they were really proud of of that because it was a respectful way as well to address it for them and as I said it was not mixed uh, groups and um and yeah it was it was pretty amazing oh that's fantastic and I wonder what kind of reactions have you heard from the the clients you know the people who have come on these trips and you know worked with these the first sort of Moroccan multiers and um and gone on these women-only expeditions. Yeah, what sort of reactions have you gotten? I think it was quite life-changing for some of them. It was very, very interesting to see the kind of women that booked these trips. And I remember going through some of the feedback and we had a woman, for example, who just lost her sister from, I think she was from Canada and she really just wanted to grieve and wanted to, so that's why she booked that trip. And, and that really just helped her to put perspective in life and in things because you see so much in one way, poverty and desperate and but then you realize that there's still hope and there's still love and there is still positivity even in these communities you know because you just put your life in perspective and realize that it's that's why I keep saying it's so empowering for customers to actually go in these trips um and and the trips are especially the Morocco one is quite simple we just stay at people's house and uh, it's trek it's quite basic accommodation level you eat organic natural product that are grown in the area but then you know customers really discover that you can actually have amazing travel experience with just staying simple and just with what's, you know, without harming, without, without just getting immersed into the, that community. And, and also, also realize that it's, it's important for travel uh, to act as a force for good, to be actually spread throughout destinations within, you know, throughout different regions, not always the same places. Because as I said, this trip specifically has a lot of other intrepid trips, not just women-led they often go out of the beaten track. We design trips so we have at least one or two stops that go to places that people have never seen on the map. It's really important for customers to realize the, the importance for their money to actually not go always to the same cities, places, hotels, and, and, and people at the end. Um, so yeah, it's, there's just a lot of different elements, but I think it was quite empowering for the women throughout all the feedback we've been reading depending on their personal situation. Sometimes we also have, um, we had a few examples of, of women going on this trip just because they wanted to be away from their partners or husband for a little while. They wanted to have a break 
you know? And that I found that quite nice because I think sometimes we do women want to um, just have a break, you know, <laughs> just, uh, and that's not, nothing bad with that. And I think it was, um, it was pretty nice to see that these trips were, were attracting some women. And, and the, maybe the last point was because it's a challenge, it's a trek, you know, it's, it's a trek in an area that's quite challenging. That's, you know, it requires a, a minimum of, of, you know, uh, physical abilities. There have been some women from kind of advanced age uh, that don't necessarily see themselves as, as very active, but that would book the trip because they just don't want to be challenged by other men in, in that kind of trip. They just want to do it and take their time and still have this kind of challenge to work toward and, and achieve at the end. So that's also um, how we found these trips were really, really um, like attractive to, to different you know, type of women. Wow, that sounds that sounds like a fantastic adventure, I gotta say. I know one other topic that Intrepid has been thinking about a lot lately, um, I guess as any travel company is now during the pandemic, is the whole question of vaccination. And I know vaccine equity is something that Intrepid has been working on. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was in an event a couple of days ago and I heard from the first time for uh, the new head of WTTC, um, Jessica Simpson, and she said something that really, you know, got me. Like it was, she was saying at this rhythm, if we keep going at this rhythm from a vaccination, you know, rollout perspective, the whole world would be vaccinated in five years time. And I didn't realize that. I had another stats, which was um, around, if we look at low-income country, less than 2% of people have been vaccinated in low-income country. But then when she, she got all the stats around five years and now we are travel business, um, that has, you know, business, like offices in source markets, such as the US or UK, that are going out of this pandemic where, you know, more than 70, 80% or whatever of the population have been vaccinated and international borders are reopening and people are booking trips now. I think there is a very big disconnection between what's happening in those Western countries and what's happening in the, the rest of the world. And that's why Intrepid really took a stance of if we want travel to come back, and as international borders are opening, and if we want it to come back in an ethical way, we really need the whole world to be vaccinated. And that's why we wanted to raise a campaign around that vaccine inequity and, and, and on, with different pillars, one of them being to create awareness that there is you know, vaccine inequity. And because and, as I said, not everyone realized that. Um, and then support as a second pillar, our team overseas throughout our different operations offices. As I said, we have 25 destination management companies all around the world and use these teams uh, locally to support um, you know, their two leaders, the staff to access vaccine and also create um, awareness, education. We had our team in Sri Lanka that have been running sessions to, um, to explain to, to the teams that why vaccine is important and, 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 and you know, just have that kind of educational piece happening. We also have our team in Peru that has helped um, our porters to get vaccinated um, in areas where even probably less than 2% of, uh, of porters have, uh, you know, heard of vaccine even, uh, most likely. So we've been supporting um, our team as a second pillar locally. We have um, more than, I would say, I don't want to say something wrong, but something around 80 to 90% of our tour leaders that are now vaccinated around the world. Uh, we have also decided that if you want to join one of our trip, you have to be fully vaccinated um, to also uh, make sure that we're not spreading that virus, um, you know, in, in those destinations that didn't have access in those communities that didn't have access to the same healthcare system and vaccines that we did. And then the last bit of it, which is probably the one of the biggest one, is we've supported financially the UNICEF um, 
give the world a shot campaign um, by fundraising um, up to $100,000. And we're still fundraising, so that's still growing. So we've reached that uh, milestone, but we have donated half of it. So Intrepid, as we're going through a pandemic and money is quite you know, a, a rare element, we did donate and commit to 50,000 uh, Australian dollars as part of this campaign. So what we found was really amazing about it is that, again, as when we banned elephant riding from our trip, we've started to see some very big player of the travel industry following us in this move and making vaccines mandatory, raising the, the importance of vaccine equity. And, and it's it's pretty amazing to see that the, the entire industry now is, is getting aware and, and start to push for um, that vaccine equity um, to, to happen if we want travel to come back in an in a ethical manner. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, it's wonderful to hear about that work you're doing. And I wonder, yeah, I mean, you mentioned things kind of, there was the chaos initially, things stopping in March 2020, repatriating um, customers from around the world. How have things gone since then? I imagine there was a period of very slow business but are things starting to pick up now? Like what sort of trends are you seeing? Yeah, look, I mean, we, we were in March 2020 really focused on, on, you know, repatriation, dealing with customer refund, cancellation. And then maybe after a month or a couple of months time, we then got to a point where, okay, so what are we doing now? This is done. Where are we as a business? And, and I guess one of the things that I love the most about Intrepid is the fact that we're owned and managed, you know, our leadership team by entrepreneurs, like real entrepreneurs. And, uh, something we've, we've heard is that we won't waste the pandemic. You know, we're not going to hibernate. We're not, although we, we often say we will, <laughs> we often say, you know, let's focus, let's hibernate. Let's be, you know, we actually don't. We always end up doing so many more things that we're not planning to do. And I think it's quite good because it it's, keeps people engaged. So we've been through a period of time quickly after that kind of April, 2020 months, um, where we looked into how do we reimagine our business so we don't waste the pandemic. So we get out of it in a stronger position um, and there's been a few part of our strategy, long-term strategy that we decided to accelerate. And one of them, which we're probably the most proud of at the, right now that we've done it uh, as, as early as that, was to launch our first range of domestic products. We realized that, um, you know, obviously domestic local products will come back first after a pandemic, after a lot of different crises that's what often happen, happen. But that was part of our core strategy to do it because we do believe that it's a more sustainable way to travel as well. And that's why we've decided to accelerate it. And we've been launching um, a full range of products in Australia, um, followed by the UK, Europe, and then the US. And, um, and that's now something that a lot of people around Intrepid are now focusing on in developing that range to uh, make it a very large part of our product portfolio. Um, so we've done that. We've obviously done also a lot of advocacy work when we talk about vaccine equity, but be before that, um, we looked into, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how we build back better, how do we make sure we build back better. We've seen um, the impact of um, the pandemic when the world stopped traveling and some of the wildlife coming back in some areas of the world, you know, people in India reporting being able to see the Himalayans for the first time or Venice um, seeing some fishes coming back to the to their canals or whatever. We realized that that was the right time to, to talk about Again, because we've been a very strong advocate of, of, you know, the fact that there is a climate emergency and we have to do something about it. Um, and we said, let's use this time to help other businesses uh, that haven't started their journey or are very, very early stage to help them to learn using our own journey on 
you know, how do we uh, become more aware of the impact of travel on global warming and, and climate change and what you can do about it? So as I said, we were carbon neutral since 2010, but science is proving that that's not longer enough. And so how do we accelerate so we actually have the wider industry, the mainstream part of the industry, understanding that we have a serious issue to deal with, otherwise we won't have an industry at all because we won't have a planet where we can travel to. And so we've, we've issued a series of um, toolkits and one being the, the 10 steps to decarbonize your business where we are going. And Susanna, who I, I think you know, have, uh, has been writing uh, you know, very easy steps and, and tips to support, like help any business from any size to actually start to think about what they can do to contribute. So. As I said, not wasting a pandemic, doing a different things for uh, making sure we can come back strong, as strong as possible um, as, as international borders are, are opening now. Hopefully that was a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm curious to ask you, I mean, I know this isn't your particular area of focus, but what are those things that travel companies can do to decarbonize their business? Or what are some things that Intrepid has done? You know, um, are you were you looking at carbon offsets or, you know, what are the other options for companies looking to do this? Look, I think the first thing is that every, every companies, every company in the world needs to understand their impact. And I think that's a very big misconception because there's so much mysticality around the, the concept of carbon. There's so much technicality that it might get people, you know, you know, make people a bit afraid. What we've done in 2010, actually before 2010, when we became carbon neutral, we went through a process, a very long and thorough process of understanding our impact. So that measurement was number one step for us to, you know, as I said, understand our impact and then do something about it. So the second and third step was about reducing. How do we reduce and how do we avoid before we then got to a point where we offset what's left? And by going through this process, well, we've been always Intrepid has been created with the idea that we need to have smaller group trips um, that can stay local, eat local, um, take public transport and all of that. And that's that's lower impact type of travel already. But then going through that measurement helped us to see where there is improvement to make. So when we can replace a domestic flight by a train, where we can actually walk instead of taking a taxi, where et cetera, et cetera. Um, then obviously, as I said earlier, now we are in 2021, being carbon neutral and offsetting is no longer enough, while it's where probably a lot of the other businesses are starting, you know, so that, that's where we got into the situation where we said, okay, if we want again, I have, you know, a planet where we can send travelers to and destinations and, and um, we have to decarbonize our business in line with what's accepted by the Paris Agreement. And this is where we went into getting our verified science-based targets that gives us a roadmap to reduce further, decarbonize further our emissions in line with what's accepted by 2035. And that means reviewing how much business travel we're doing. That means review, and we used to do a lot, to be fair, to be honest, we, we used to do a lot because we, as a travel company, we have to travel to create connection, to uh, find new product, to you know, meet with new partners. Um, and we didn't realize before measuring that that could be actually a very easy one where we can cut emissions. Then, you know, going back to trips and operations, looking to top 50 products, the ones that we operate and sell the most, how can we reduce um, the carbon emission from this product? Again, removing flight, reviewing routes, transport, et cetera. Then looking into the proportion of our products, um, and especially mentioned, I mentioned uh, domestic earlier, 
you know, how can we actually start to balance and have more domestic products that are more sustainable way and promote more um, product that, um, you know, are closer to home. Uh, also developing, and we've been doing this a lot in the last 12 months, actively, I mean, growing our active range of products. So we have more product that only require your feet, pretty much to actually go from a place to another, such as cycling trips, walking trips. And we actually know that there are interests for that, growing interest for that, because a lot of people got active during the pandemic. So it's, it's almost, it's making business sense anyway. Um, what else? I mean, there's a lot of different areas. Obviously, Susanna, our uh, environmental specialist, is an expert in, uh, you know, explaining uh, each of the different scopes that's it's quite technical, uh, but then when you look at it, I mean, maybe another another and the last example would be around our offices. Because as I said, I have we have 25 destination management companies. We also have our source market offices around in total 30. We have 30 offices in the world. So we committed to turn them all into renewable energy. And we've already done it in one of them. The, the UK, the one that I, you know, I'm, I'm leading is actually already all uh, using renewable energy. So again, it's just me- measuring understanding your impact, measuring, and then breaking this down into small pieces and looking to how can I contribute with a clear framework and the target should be what's accepted by the Paris Agreement. It shouldn't be anything else than that. That should, every single business need, need to work toward that. Because again, the risk is that we will not have destinations. We've seen how Australia has been ravaged by the bushfires. We've seen what happened in the US. We've seen, um, we're hearing and seeing how some of the sea levels increasing would destroy some of islands in the world. So there is no other choice than doing it now. Um, and there's no more time really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's wonderful to hear that there's such a big player in the industry who's taking these these issues so seriously and also working to help other businesses and the industry kind of take some of the same steps. So you mentioned that you ran about 50 trips in Morocco um, in the past few months. Is that right? So I wonder, you know, how does it feel to have travel kind of coming back again and then looking ahead to 2022 and beyond? How are you feeling about the future of travel in Morocco and your work with Intrepid, as you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic, are you feeling optimistic about the future of travel in Morocco and globally? In general, yeah. Of course, I just don't want to talk just about Morocco because in fact, we've been running trips in in more than 20 countries since the beginning of the pandemic. So we are uh, really starting operations. It's been probably easier for us. It's been very hard, let's be honest. It's very hard to operate in the pandemic, but it's been easier in a way because we have our operations offices that belong to the same group that really are part of, it's the same teams really, that part of our teams that are able to let us know above just whatever regulations or whatever um, government advice is saying, they are able to tell us exactly what's happening in the ground and how, how is it, how it can be to actually operate a trip in their countries what would be the restrictions and, and how do we go about it? And we have done a lot of work to actually audit destinations, review our health and safety procedures and protocols to make sure that when we restart, we restart in a safe way. And we've been adop- adapting it as well. You know, we went from a, um, you know, starting operating to then making testing. You know, we had the time when we made testing uh, mandatory, then we moved into making vaccination mandatory. So we're really adapting to the situation. We're following government advice, obviously from key source market, but we're also following local advice and our team advice to make sure that um, it is going to be enjoyable experiences, because that's really important. We don't want to be sending customers to places to not have a good experience. And our feedback scores haven't been as high as they are at the moment, which shows that 
it is great to travel again. Obviously, we have to adapt as we adapted after the 9-11 and adapted to all the new restrictions around how do we travel in, in air, in, in all, all of these kind of things. Um, and so, you know, some places you have to wear masks, you have to clean your hand a bit more often, you've got to, um, you know, um, just, just adapt the way um, we operate some part of the trips. Uh, but it's been amazing experience so far. It's been amazing to see people back to work. Two leaders have been most likely the most impacted from from you know this pandemic, not ha having enough work for them to uh, to be able to you know to to feed their families and get the kids to school. And it's it's been quite quite tough, especially that 2020 was meant to be the biggest year. I mean, I mean, we're always growing as a company, but 2020, the plans were, remember being in Morocco in February, 2020, talking to my teams, my different teams in Morocco, Turkey, and um, Egypt and Europe back at the time as operations team and planning for this huge number of bookings that were coming to us and that, you know, um, translating this into a lot of new staff and, uh, you know, a lot of changes and, and growth plans and just going backwards so quickly and so radically was really, really tough. Uh, but that's why we really pushed into like what we wanted is we want neither to, you know, if if we want our business to go through this, we need to go back to work as soon as possible and run trip whenever possible, whether it's domestic, whether uh, it's shorter haul, whether it's whatever, we need to do that. And we, we're really happy that we managed to do this, getting people back to work. And we hope that it will continue this way. Mm -hmm. And you talked a little bit before, or you talked, you know, a lot before about carbon emissions of travel and some of the negative impacts of, you know, this sort of activity. But what about the the positive impacts of travel and tourism? What are the, you know, the benefits that you're seeing? Well, we've always, that's what we like to focus on. We think and we strongly believe that travel is a force for good. It's it's an industry that employs a lot of people, one in 10 in the world, but also an industry that helps. It's probably the only one spreading money from the richest country to the poorer one, poorest one, as long as it's done properly. And having been in living, you know, before living and, and working in one of those low-income countries where I'm originally from, and seeing the positive impact, you know, you know, in those trips that we were running and seeing people growing, seeing so many examples I could give you about, you know, young, young women starting from, I don't know, like working in a, um, as cleaner in, in the place, you know, to becoming mid-level manager with us or, or women who have, you know, didn't have access to education and thanks to some of the projects we support in, in as a, again, if I give the example of Morocco, um, have then had access to education and are now in university doing the master's degree. So the positive impact of travel is so, it's so big, so bad. It is in only if it's done right. If it's not done right, if it's about just going in all inclusive resorts that belong to an international group where all the money goes back to that group and then all the management level are all expatriates and that, you know, and that the food is not purchased locally. And, um, you know, all of this, this is, this is not the right way. So um, it can act as a forceful good if it's done the right way. And in my opinion, it should be only done that way. So the good thing about it is that consumer want it this way more and more. They, we've, as part of, we're part of a niche, whatever we've been doing for the last 33 years is now becoming more and more mainstream. We're hearing all the mainstream operators talking about experiential travel, talking about, you know, some of these things that we've been doing for, for the last 30 years. And it's not just, 
just again sustainability responsible travel is just about climate it's about experiences as well because if those experiences are about eating local the best local restaurant in you know spending um the night in that unique locally owned accommodation or homestay and doing all of these you know cooking classes in someone's family those things are actually quite nice things to do in addition of being very positive for the communities the people the destination and what we're seeing now is more and more mainstream operators want to do that as well and that's actually a good thing because that's how it should be well thank you so much and um yeah thank you for taking the time to speak with me my pleasure thanks Hi there, welcome back. Thank you so much to Zina for taking the time to speak with me. I thought it was really good to talk to her about this issue of vaccine equity. And you know, I looked it up after our conversation and I saw that according to data from the World Health Organization, as of early November, just over 64% of people in high-income countries had received at least one dose of vaccine. But in low-income countries, the figure is just 5.5%, or about 1 in 18 people in poorer countries have had some vaccines. So we have a long way to go, and broadening the distribution of vaccines will be so critical to getting travel moving again and making sure that it's safe for everybody. So an interesting and important topic, and perhaps a focus for a future episode. I don't know, we shall see. But I wanted to tell you guys about next week's episode because we're going to have another interesting and actually kind of fun conversation with somebody who you may know already if you listen to other travel podcasts. So my guest next week is Jason Moore, host of the Zero to Travel podcast. And we talked about moving overseas, living overseas, and how to be a good resident abroad. So Jason grew up in the United States and he lives in Norway with his family and we had a great chat and I hope you'll join us for that conversation next Thursday. And there's just one final thing I wanted to mention before I say goodbye this week. A couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Rick Steves in a Q&A for the New York Times. So if you're from the United States, I probably don't need to explain who Rick Steves is. If you're from outside the United States, I'll say he's a guidebook author, radio host, and TV personality who kind of comes across as like, imagine your favorite sort of nerdy and travel-obsessed uncle. (laughs) Anyway, he's a really interesting guy, a really good guy, and we had a really good conversation about travel and what that looks like today. So you can read that Q&A, even if you're not a New York Times subscriber, and even if you've already used up your free articles per month, because as a subscriber, I have the power to unlock 10 articles per month. So I've done that, and the link is in the show notes. The link is good for two weeks. So go ahead and scroll on down and click on that and have a read. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy my conversation with Rick Steves. You've been listening to the Better Travel Podcast, and I'm your host, Paige McClanahan. Artemis Irvin is our producer and social media editor, and Jessica Danheiser composed our score. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.